Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Stepping through the shadows of uncertainty, bending under life's crushing blow, searching for hope against the formless void of a world emptied of light. We travel and yearn. We walk and pray. We search the sky for signs, scan the horizon for redemption, study the shadows for the light that casts them, but only silence and darkness. Then the Spirit of God moves against the dark waters of his people's despair, bends his knee toward the world that abandoned him long ago, He sees the formless and empty state of his creation. He hovers over the hopeless and helpless. Now is the time. It's finally time to strike the serpent. God speaks light again like he spoke it before. The word of God becomes flesh. Underneath a bright star of hope, underneath the radiant breath of God, underneath 400 years of silence, The bright morning star dawns. The people who walk in darkness see the great light. The light shines on those who live in the land of deep darkness. The mighty king we were promised has arrived. In a throne made of sticks, in a manger of humility, he has come. Hi, it's Bron here, uh, coming to you from a different place, coming to you from a hotel room in Sri Lanka uh, to speak to you about the upcoming spiritual growth campaign that really starts today on the 3rd of December. Uh, The idea is that we're using a liturgy um, that hundreds, maybe even thousands of churches use across our nation around Advent and indeed across the world. But we're using uh, the Australian um, liturgy as it relates to this. We've kind of contextualised it for, for the Chapel Collective but I really hope that you'll get involved. I'm just gonna read to you from the booklet uh, that's available through the QR code. Um, In some locations, you might even have physical booklets or can get that organized. But let me read to you uh, from the first couple of pages that the amazing Candy Tindall and I've put together, it says here, you're invited on an Advent pilgrimage to push back against the rush and hurry of the season. A counter-cultural pivot against consumerism and unrealistic expectations. We bid you come and join the chorus of Christ followers through the centuries, celebrating Christmas with Thanksgiving for the Messiah who came with joyful expectation of his return. Advent comes from the Latin Adventus, arrival to come. This is an invitation not to add to your overburdened schedule, rather to invite Jesus into it, to come renew hope, to come infuse peace, to come inspire joy, to come saturate with love. Candy Tyndall, she's got an incredible way with words. Traditionally, Advent is celebrated on the four Sundays preceding Christmas, 3rd, 10th, 17th and 24th in 2023. However, we walk in liberty. Uh, The following are suggestions not to regulate and legislate, rather to pause and anticipate. Adjust and incorporate in rhythm with your season. On the following pages, you'll find reflections you can engage with. And these are reflections that you can do by yourself 
you can do with your children if you have them or with a small group or with a group of people, whoever you want to. And they're just an idea to calm and to pause and to think about Advent and to get the most out of it. You can place them intentionally alongside others, other things in your calendar, something that you do together, maybe a family dinner that you do once a week or something like that. There's a practice for young families, there's a practice for uh, older households. And the idea is that we come and we intentionally pause just in these practices. And then there's daily devotions, just five days a week that go through the liturgy and, and talk about firstly in the first week, all about hope, then all about peace, then all about joy, and then about love finally. Really uh, thinking about this, listen to this. The daily devotions are intended to take the weekdays to focus our attention on the themes of Advent. Um, firstly, looking forward to the second coming of Jesus, and then secondly, looking back to the first coming as we approach Christmas. Um, let this Advent birth intimacy in your heart as we celebrate the birth of our Saviour. Over the course of the four weeks, scripture readings move from passages about Christ's return in judgment uh, to Old Testament passages about the expectation of the coming Messiah to New Testament passages about the announcement of Christ's arrival by John the Baptist and the angels. It's pretty amazing. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, the celebration of Advent is only possible to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect and who look forward to something greater to come. That's definitely me. Matthew Kelly says, God of hope, I look to you with an open heart and yearning spirit. During this Advent season, I will keep alert and awake, listening for your word and keeping your precepts. My hope is in you. How beautiful is that? There's an old hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which reflects this perfectly. It kind of reflects what was being sung before Jesus, but what we sing now. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. So there's an Advent prayer to start your journey in these booklets and in the e-booklet as well. And you'll see them on daily devotions on social media. Uh, but I just wonder if we can pray it right now. Uh, if you wouldn't mind bowing your head, closing your eyes or putting your face to heaven, whatever your method is. But I'd love us to pray this prayer that Henry Nowen prayed. Lord Jesus, master of both the light and the darkness, send your Holy Spirit upon our preparations for Christmas. We who have so much to do, seek quiet spaces to hear your voice each day. We who are anxious over many things, look forward to your coming among us. We who are blessed in so many ways, long for the complete joy of your kingdom. We whose hearts are heavy, seek the joy of your presence. We are your people, walking in darkness, yet seeking the light. To you we say, come Lord Jesus, amen. Now your location pastor may preach this morning or you may continue to watch uh, this message about the first part of Advent, Advent um, which is of course, Hope. Christmas Carol, Oh Holy Night, has this line in it. Oh, the weary world rejoices. Ah, oh, something about that line, a thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. And weariness seems to be something that is so prevalent both in the world around us and often in my own life. And this idea that a thrill of hope causes the weary to rejoice is really exciting. So on this first Sunday of Advent, the idea of hope is so important for us to reflect on. Hope is 
a lifter of our head, isn't it? It just causes us to be able to raise our heads that little higher. It puts a spring in our step. Hope puts wind in our sails. It is an impetus that drive us, drives us force, forward. I love what Dan Urquhart has preached um, and has a revelation around and has preached across um, many of the locations of the Chapel Collective. He says this, God gets our hopes up. God gets our hopes up. And yet it's been my mantra and maybe a mantra of yours and your family, don't get your hopes up. Don't get your hopes up. I, I grew up with that mantra. I don't think it was ever spoken by my parents or anything like that, but I know it was a reality in my heart, Bron, don't get your hopes up. The first time I can really remember it, this caution, this pause, uh, is when I went for school captain in year 11. I, obviously it came from somewhere else because it didn't just all of a sudden happenstance upon me then. But I went for school captain, I gave my speech and everything like that, and it was at that time that I was, I already was a Christian, but I was really drawing close to God. I was going for a lot of walks on my farm and I just really had the kind of felt presence of God as I would walk and I would spend time with him and I would talk. And, and at that time, I prayed the prayer. This was the first time I prayed this kind of prayer. I said, God, I do want to become school captain. I actually do want it. Uh, but Lord, I don't want it if it's not what you want for me. It was a not my will, but yours be done prayer. Now that prayer, the prayer that I prayed, oh, it's a great prayer. It's really great as a 17-year-old. I wrote that prayer. I'm really excited that a 17-year-old prayed that prayer. I know it was me. I know it sounds like I'm bragging, but I'm not. I, I write like when any 17-year-old prays that kind of prayer and I see it across our churches many times and I see it in my own children, I'm like, oh, that is a great prayer to pray. I'm so excited. I write that prayer. What I don't write was the ground that that prayer was prayed in, the kind of the house uh, that, that, that that prayer was housed in, the atmosphere, because I followed it up with an attitude of, okay, Brian, like this was an intentional attitude. Don't think you're going to get it. Anticipate that you will not get it. And then you won't be disappointed if you don't, but you'll be um, happily surprised if you do. So while I had this great prayer, it was housed with a total lack of hope. It didn't represent faith. Trust, it definitely represented trust, but not faith. Essentially, I was saying to God, hey, God, I really want this, and, and, but, but I'm not going to get it. Like I, I probably won't. It's not going to happen. I, I, I don't rate that attitude anymore. Even though it's harder to foster a different attitude, that attitude is actually really comfortable and easy. It's, I've asked for it. Now I won't expect to get it. Anyone else? If I do get it, that'll be a pleasant surprise. If I don't get it, I won't be disappointed. If I lower my expectations, I won't get disappointed. As if disappointment is the worst thing that could happen to us. Is there anyone else in the room? <laughs> my unspoken attitude was, God, can I please have this? You'll probably say no. I wonder if generations upon generations of Jewish men, women and children had arrived at an attitude like this. You see, they were waiting for a coming Messiah. Messiah it simply means anointed one. Christos is the same word. That's where we get Jesus Christ from. That's the Greek, anointed one. They were waiting for an anointed one. Why? Well, they'd experienced incredible prosperity under a king called Solomon. It was a time, and maybe the last time, that Israel, Judah, that whole area was in complete peace 
and total prosperity. The Bible records that everyone, everyone had a house and a yard, a garden. So that's true prosperity, that, that every citizen had one of those things. That, that's incredible prosperity. And there was peace. They enjoyed peace during that time. However, King Solomon married people who worshipped foreign gods and eventually his heart was turned towards those foreign gods with pagan worship and not only his heart but the heart of the whole nation with him as the leader goes, so goes the nation. And so his pagan worship was adopted by the whole nation and essentially they turned their backs on God. Now having done that, having abandoned God, God warned them and said, if you abandon me, I will abandon you. I will leave you to the consequences of your actions. If you will put no faith in me, if you will put no trust in me, if you will not worship me, then I'll leave you to these so-called gods that you do worship. And what ensued eventually was it was actually um, invasion and then conquering and then exile. It was just crazy. You see, what had happened was as during their pagan worship, they neglected God's instructions. They stopped caring about justice. They didn't practice mercy. They became proud. Orphans and widows were completely neglected and heinous worship practices were adopted. So invading, conquered, exiled. And into this environment, prophets spoke word of hope, words of hope, words like Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. They're plans for good and not for evil. They're plans for a future and a hope. He spoke it into that environment. It wasn't a bunch of Christians worshipping him that he spoke it into. He spoke it into the exiled environment, people carried off from their nation. Then Isaiah, he begins to speak about a future leader. He had some words about him, and I'm going to read them to you right now. Uh, it is promised in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2 and 3. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. He will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance nor make a decision based on hearsay. Speaking about a future ruler that will come on whom the spirit of God will rest not just come and anoint for a certain task like they were used to the Spirit of the Lord doing, but come and rest. Uh, also in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 and 2, prophesying about this future leader, speaking, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favour has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. Uh, this was quoted by Jesus when he spoke in the temple for the first time. But this was originally promised to those in exile. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest upon his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. Micah chapter 5, verse 2 says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, maybe, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, Listen to this. Yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past will come from you on my behalf. Oh, my goodness. Speaking about the Lord, bringing someone to them. So the people were living in hope. They were living in hope. But I wonder if after generation after generation, 
I wonder if their prayer would have reflected mine about being school captain, which is a ridiculous comparison, but just let's think about the attitude for a moment. Of Jesus, they wouldn't have been praying to Jesus, they would have said, God, Elohim, we want to see your anointed one, your Messiah, come to us. Lord, let it be in my lifetime. But I don't expect that it will. And perhaps that's the way that they prayed. Oh, I'd love to see it, God, but probably not in my lifetime. There was one guy who prayed not like that at all. And given what they'd been through, it was amazing that he hadn't. They were an occupied nation. The Greeks had come and overrun them. Sure, um, Cyrus back in the day had allowed them to go back to their homeland, but they'd been conquered time and time again, now being occupied by Rome, the strongest like empire that had ever been known uh, to, to them. And they are completely and utterly occupied. And perhaps they had a picture of what it would look like, the Messiah coming. Um, and perhaps they thought, Lord, let it be in my lifetime. But if not, it's okay. And perhaps they lived like it wasn't going to happen in their lifetime. But two people didn't get there. Two people didn't live like that. Two people kept their hopes up. We're going to look at them in Luke. Luke chapter 2, verse 25. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. Simeon had not gotten to the point where he thought, ah, I won't get my hopes up. Like, I'm sure maybe it'll happen, but I won't get my hopes up. He was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So that was a a thought that he had. It was something that had resonated in his spirit. The Holy Spirit had spoken it to his heart and... It had been revealed to him as a revelation, but he hung on to that revelation. He didn't let that revelation go. He didn't say, well, now I'm old. It's probably not going to happen. He clung onto it. Verse 27, that day the spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace. As you have promised, I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is glory, the glory to your people, glory of your people, Israel. Ah, what a moment for Simeon. He had waited all his life and now he was old and he's saying, God, let me die in peace. I've seen what you promised I would see. I got to see the Messiah, the anointed one, the Messiah. In verse 33, Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed him and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He's been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your very soul. It's not a great word for a mother, just letting you know. Any prophets in the room? Not a great word for a mother. (laughs) And second person who refused to just be like, well, it probably won't happen in my lifetime. And no, no, she was waiting in hope. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they'd been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. 
She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshipping God with prayer and fasting. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. Waiting expectantly. Hope causes us to wait expectantly. History has been sprinkled with people like this. The Bible says in Hebrews that Abraham hoped against all hope. When everything looks like it couldn't, that hope should not be there anymore, yet Abraham hoped. And God causes, as Dan Urquhart says, people to get their hopes up right across history. The question is, will we? Now, as it turned out, I ended up becoming school captain. And I was really pleasantly surprised because my attitude was, you're not going to get it, Bron, you're not going to get it, Bron, you're not going to get it. And a few years later, many years later, I decided that I would uh, nominate myself or ask someone to nominate me to be part of what our um, movement is called, the ACC, the National Executive. Now, I was completely unaware of the politics that go along with uh, these kinds of things. I was unaware of the um, way that things were done, completely oblivious. And so I didn't realise it really should wait to get nominated. I had a, something in my heart that I felt like the Holy Spirit had spoken, that he said that I should nominate, so I went ahead and did it. Um, I was unknown. And right from the start, I just I thought that attitude really helped me last time around being school captain. I'll have that attitude again. I'm just doing what you say, God. Whatever you want happens from here and I will not expect to be on and so then that way I won't be disappointed. What happened was that God got my hopes up. <laughs> and I actually read, uh, began to read in the Bible um, through the book of Genesis where women were actually treated really badly and had no voice. Uh, obviously, our world is completely different. But what God was doing was saying there's no, no female voice in that room. And, and I began to think, yes, God, wow, that you might trust me with that. That would be so incredibly exciting. And, and I began to get my hopes up. And I began to go, no, actually, I'm going to pray for this. And hadn't even told the church that I was wanting to do it. But I told the church and then got them to pray in both Armadale and Tamworth. I preached both places the weeks before National. And I asked that they would pray and, and they did. And, and God really got my hopes up. And then I didn't get on. <laughs> was I disappointed? Um, oh, I think I was just a, bit, like, a little bit embarrassed at the start and then humbled. I wasn't humiliated. They're two different things, but I felt very humbled. It was very humbling walking into a room of people that maybe perhaps and even some people said that I'd kind of overreached with uh, doing that. And so, yeah, that was incredibly humbling. Do I wish that I didn't get my hopes up? No, I actually really don't. I, I, I'm glad that I put my faith and trust in Jesus and, and had an attitude of faith rather than an attitude of, I don't know, like acquiescence or disappointment or like, I don't even know what you call it, apathy. I don't know. I don't know. But I, I would prefer to get my hopes up, that's for sure. You know, the thing is, this is the thing, right? It might not look like we expect the outcome. Uh, I didn't get on to national. 
um, the people of Israel who were eagerly waiting for the anointed one to come didn't see Rome overturned in their lifetime uh, and, and then rise to power and Israel restored as a peaceful and prosperous nation. No, what did happen was that the Roman Empire was overturned eventually by Christianity and the world actually has been getting better and better, even though parts of it have been getting darker and darker. But the spread of the gospel has caused a complete revolution. The outcome might not look like we expect when we get our hopes up. But will we expect the coming of the Messiah in our time? The question is, will we live like he might come again in our time? Will we be like Simeon? Like, I don't want to go without seeing the return of the Lord. Will we lift our expectation? Will we lift our hope? Because I believe that as we do, our weary hearts rejoice. As we lift our hope in who he is and what he will do, our weary hearts rejoice. I wonder right now if you would sing this carol with me. It's going to play on the video screen. Yeah, screen. Dated myself. But this is the, the, the hymn, O Holy Night. And will we sing and will we allow our hearts to rise in hope at the coming, uh, coming of our Messiah, our anointed one, the second coming of Jesus Christ? Will we allow our weary hearts to rejoice and lift our hopes this morning? Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.